welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 21. I'm Nick Dixon, and I'm joined by Free Speech Warrior, Mr. Toby Young. Coming up, Clarkson fights back, Stephen Crowder goes to war with the Daily Wire, and Davos is full of hoes, plus our top stories of the week with Will, and of course, peak woke. So, Toby, this story about Davos, I mean, I thought it was just a wholesome place where our leaders gathered to tell us how to, you know, live our live our future lives in eco-pods, eating bugs, and they just wanted what's best for us, and they were just great guys. But it turns out there's an awful lot of prostitutes there. Yes, it's um, it's boomtown for hookers. Um, the Mail have now run two stories on this, and we um, we bowdlerized one um, and stuck it on the Daily Skeptic. Did really well for us. Yeah, it's sort of um, I don't know. Uh, call me naive, but I wasn't expecting you know these um, hand wringing, furrowed browed you know, progressive echo warriors who spend hours talking about how to ensure gender equality on boards and so on and so forth and how to improve girls' education in developing countries. I wasn't expecting them to go back to their luxury five-star hotels and then dial up prostitutes. But, you know, call me naive. Yeah, and one by you could just, I mean, you said this in your other podcast, but you could just point at the ceiling and then that means you you want to have a process, and they just arrive. And one of them no, I th- have to call. I, you know, I think I th- no. As I understand it, I mean, I didn't read it too carefully, but I think if you're t- chatting to a girl at the bar, and you know, if, if if there is a woman at the bar who is under thirty and quite you know sexily dressed, I think you pretty much guarantee she's a prostitute. Instead of kind of entering into um, a, a tricky negotiation, just in case you've got it wrong, you just kind of subtly point at the ceiling. And if she is, in fact, on the game, she'll she'll kind of uh, quietly signal, yes, okay, and then you you then leave discreetly and head up to your room. It was a tech American tech guy. He says, at the Europe, you stand at the bar and point upstairs, whereas at the Belvedere, you have to make a call. So you point upstairs at the bar. So I think maybe it's the bar staff that are doing. Oh, maybe, it. maybe I hadn't got that. I thought it was just. I just assumed that this American chap was was talking to someone at the bar when he pointed to the ceiling. Maybe right? that wouldn't be <laughs> that would be a bit uncouth, wouldn't it? I think they're probably at the level where they just simply point. It's like you order your drink and then you just point up, and then that's that means that that's my guess. But you, you know more about these things than me, Toby. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'm an amateur in these matters. And um, there's also this very high class, but because it's Davos, you can't just have some hoe. She's like high class. This Salome woman uh salome, salome bathos i think she's is it Bal? no balthus something like that and it may not yeah. be a real, real name as you, you said elsewhere name. but she has a degree in german literature and philosophy and so that guarantees i'll have a good time not not just sexually but intellectually and that's important so <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know that was odd wasn't it um uh yeah I, I don't imagine that what they're paying for is a stimulating conversation about the works of jean-paul sartre but who knows? I mean, they are quite pretentious. Perhaps they can then persuade themselves, you know, that they're not just paying for sex. They're also paying for a bit of intellectual stimulation that they're not getting from listening to Greta Thunberg inside the conference hall. Yeah, it gives it all a bit of a legitimate edge. Is this going to damage the reputation? I mean, we're all supposed to just be like ruled by these people. Party of Davos, as Steve Bannon says, the World Economic Forum, which we talked about ad nauseum last week. Is this going to damage their reputation at all? Yeah, you pointed out that I, 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 gone on an eight and a half minute uninterrupted <laughs> monologue about the WEF in our last podcast. Maybe that accounts for its um, extraordinary length. Um, yeah, we're going to try and keep this one 
down to an hour and 10, hour and 15. But it was um, our most successful podcast. So maybe what people want is eight and a half minute Toby monologues. Maybe it is. I, I bumped into a woman last night. Uh, the Free Speech Union organized a debate at the um, Artists and Workers Guild uh, about whether or not protests in in buffer zones around abortion clinics should be banned or not. And um, there was a woman there I was sitting next to said she was a huge fan of both London Calling and The Weekly Skeptic. So she listens to London Calling on Tuesday morning and The Weekly Skeptic on Wednesday morning. So yeah, I said not too much overlap. She said, oh, I don't mind that at all. <laughs> so maybe we're, maybe we're overthinking this. People are fans of both podcasts and don't mind the fact that I repeat myself. What uh, people apparently. want, Toby, is you speaking for a very long time about the same <laughs> topics you've already covered. Who knew that was a willing formula? <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, that's probably enough on uh, Davos then. It was a pretty ridiculous story, but check it out on the dailyskeptic.org if you want to know more about it. And do you want to do this Clarkson one briefly as well? I mean, this has been huge. I mean, obviously, I wrote a piece about Clarkson for the Daily Skeptic, but then there was this latest development, which is that Clarkson hit back, and you wrote a piece about it, and he's actually come out with this fairly uh, decent article in the Sunday Times. And the question is, you know, why now, Clarkson? He's sort of woken up and realized that we've had this long revolution. And he actually sounded a bit like Peter Hitchens, a sort of more comic Peter Hitchens, because he said, we've had this revolution by stealth and they've taken over all our institutions. His son was really disturbed about it. He was disturbed about it, but he's, he's left it a bit late, but he's finally come out fighting. Well, the, 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 what was, I thought it was a really good piece and um, better late than never. Um, and, you know, he, he's not exactly been woke before now. I mean, it's not a kind of road to Damascus type conversion, but I've never seen him write, quite such a, an aggressive anti-woke piece as he did on Sunday in the Sunday Times. But it started out with this conversation. It was all prompted by the hook was this conversation with his son. His son came around to watch the football with him and he said, Dad, you don't realise we're in a war. And then Clarkson goes on to describe the war we're in, a kind of cold war. Not a shot's been fired, but it's been a very successful uh, takeover. Um, uh, and um, But what he didn't say was this conversation with his son wasn't prompted by you know there being three female pundits on the football um it was it was obviously they were talking about the cancellation of jeremy clarkson and that was sort of um conspicuous by its absence in his column i mean this is clearly as you say been what has triggered him to write this um he doesn't you know he doesn't just think he made a silly mistake and said something in very poor taste and is paying the price he thinks he is the latest victim of this conquering army and to a certain extent i think he's right um and uh, the free speech union last week on friday started a petition um a don't cancel jeremy clarkson petition directed at the ceo of itv urging her not to sack him as the host of who wants to be a millionaire and that Apparently, she's weighing up whether to do so. And, you know, he's lost a few of his gigs already. Amazon have said they're not going to recommission um, Clarkson's Farm or the Grand Tour. His son column hasn't reappeared um, since his fateful words about Meghan. Um, so he may have lost that too. Um, so, you know, he's down on his uppers and it looks as though his apology isn't going to be enough to stop this tidal wave of cancellation. So we're urging the um, CEO of ITV not to, you know, compound his humiliation, bang the final nail into his coffin, but give him a stay of execution. He's apologised. Hasn't he paid a heavy enough price? Shouldn't we forgive people who are genuinely contrite? And he does seem to be. And many of the people calling for his head have done much worse things themselves. So, uh, uh, but anyway, we started on Friday and it's now almost got 50,000 signatures. By the time this podcast is released, it may have 50,000 signatures, which is pretty good going. One slightly irritating thing is that it's been widely reported, first in the mail and then in numerous other places, and they're just copying you know, the mail's piece, basically. 
almost everywhere else, um, maybe about two dozen places. But they all, because the Mail in its original report said, fans of Jeremy Clarkson have started a petition. I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's not because we're fans of Jeremy Clarkson. I mean, I happen to be a fan, but, but you know, it's a matter of principle. We want to stop this, you know, brutal instance of cancel culture. And we think people should be forgiven for, you know, making mistakes and being offensive shouldn't be, you know, a death sentence um, or a career death sentence. Um, but anyway, so it was widely everybody else where is, you know, a petition got up by by fans of Jezzers, you know, <laughs> and that's not really the point. But uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's good that so many people have signed it. And um, I hope more people do. And if anyone listening to this wants to sign it, um, I promote it uh, in heavy rotation on my on my Twitter account at Toadmeister, um, and it's on the Free Speech Union account, at Speech Union. And anyway, you can Google it on change.org, don't cancel Jeremy Clarkson, and it'll come up. So please do sign, share, ask your friends to sign, etc. Yeah, I thought it was really well written, that defense um, on the petition. And I signed it myself in my sort of tradition of defending miscreants who say things that I never would, you know, Clarkson, Andrew Tate, you... Um, you know, I find myself defending because I'm not like you say. I'm not. It's not like I'm a massive Clarkson fan. He's this, you know, public school boy. It's kind of different world from mine. I did like Clarkson's farm, but yeah, and but obviously you, you have to defend people on these things. And, and what he said, as we discussed at length in an earlier episode, was absolutely nothing at all. It's just a joke about Game of Thrones that people didn't understand. But it is interesting that he's finally done this piece where he really, which he should have done earlier. It's, it's quite strange. He went for the apology and then the well, he did the initial apology, then the follow up email apology he did in private then he did the lengthy groveling novella length apology i called it which was really pathetic and then he's finally gone and just said ah oh, this is all nonsense it kind of red pilled article as you say it's weird that he left it that long isn't it i mean why not just do that from the start do you think he just finally realized oh, i've lost my amazon job may as well just come out on the toby young side <laughs> Maybe the explanation is that he's about to lose his sunday times column and that was a kind of last hurrah mm. <laughs> That's very he's been told that yeah, I could easily imagine that. Yeah, headline, torch it all, burn it all down. Yeah. Um and and actually we were I think we were we were asked to go one of us on talk TV. I think you probably first, then me, but we can't really go on, can we? Well, no. Um we're 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 wedded to GB News. Uh, yeah. you say more than me, I think. But yeah. Yeah, it's good they wanted to talk about it, but it's a pity we didn't get to actually do that. Did we cover it on GB? I mean, I'm not sure. We yeah, I, I, I went. I went on. I talked about the petition on Beverly Turner. Oh, okay, um, good. And uh, and talked about Jeremy the week before um, with um, Lawrence Fox, who's standing in for Mark Stein. Are you actually mates with Clarkson? Because it feels like someone you might know. I've met him a couple of times, but no, I wouldn't say we were mates. He's never invited me around to his house for dinner or out for a spin in his M3 or anything like that. Well, Toby, he might now. Now he's in the cancel clay. He's going to need friends like you, I think. I think that could all change. That could be the one positive from this is you get an invite to the farm. Do you think he'd be He'd be like, you know, I've talked in the past, I think, about setting up a kind of boutique talent agency, which essentially represents people in the mainstream media, um, big broadcasters who've been cancelled and need to reinvent themselves using kind of alt media platforms like Substack and um, Patreon and um, uh, and the rest. Um, and, uh, and so the boutique agency would give them advice on how to reinvent themselves because this is a whole new world to them. They don't really know how to navigate it and take a percentage of, you know, of their, of, of whatever they managed to earn. But he'd be, he'd be a great uh, poster boy client for, for our cancelled talent agency. Yeah, he'd be perfect. And also, they could all do my show, So You've Been Cancelled, the first reality oh, yeah, TV show right. for cancelled people. It's going yeah. to be Clarkson. As we said, Jordan Peterson with Clarkson. 
Like, so I I hear you have a farm. <laughs> <laughs> and and what what do you do? I'm the author of the greatest best-selling fiction series of all time, a, a children's book you may have heard of, Dr. Peterson, called Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I like the archetypes. I'm doing the exact same jokes as last week, but it's just so fun to do the voice. I'm sorry, guys. I thought about doing the whole intro as Peterson, then I spared the listener. I was going to be like, I'm, I'm speaking from my re-education camp in Ontario, which has been quite interesting. That's what I want to hear, you know what I mean? Peterson just updating us. They showed me a picture of Elliot Page and they said, what gender is this? I said, it's a bloody woman. I just, I just love the idea of being re-educated. I think, yeah, yeah, this, this could be, I think, I think, I think stand up beckons, Nick, you have to resume your stand up career and the centerpiece of your new show could be, (laughs) so you've been canceled in which you do impressions of all the people on the show who've been canceled. Can you do Clarkson? No, I can't. Are you you a a one trick pony? No, I'm a sort of a two or three trick pony. I can do Peterson and Werner Herzog, the the, the film director. But why would he be in there? <laughs> he wouldn't be there. And, um, he might be yeah, filming it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, I need to do more in practice. It's weird. My Peterson is my best one, but yeah, maybe just just me and Peterson is the show. You know, just it's some sort of very tenuous excuse to just do the impression of Peterson. What I learned, Nick's Twelve Rules for Life or something, and it's about my journey. You know, learning. I don't know. I've quit stand up, guys. I'll, I'll do occasional gigs if pressed. Um, yeah, well, that's Clarkson dealt with. Uh, and do you want to talk about Crowder? Because I wrote a, well, I thought it was a decent piece, you know, in the Daily Skeptic. Took a lot of research. Partly I know this stuff naturally. I've done years of research in a sense, but I also had to listen to about six hours of video. And then someone very uh, kindly on Getter gave me a C plus, C minus, sorry, C plus. I'm bigging myself up. He was ranking my article. He said something like, you're a good egg, but this this is a bad take C minus. I'm like, yeah, that's what I need. Uh, random pricks to rate my articles with <laughs> with grades. Like who 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 I'm who and I mean I'm gonna tone down my swearing for the so Jason doesn't have to bleep it all out, but who on earth do you think you are grading Nick Dixon's articles? But I think basically, Toby, I'm getting some of the treatment you get all the time, which is I'm coming out with these takes that are all like balanced and fair, and people are just calling me a big cook and stuff like that. Because I came out we should probably explain it for the listener. It's unfortunately it's going to take me eight and a half minutes, Toby. I'll explain it as briefly <laughs> as I can, which is Stephen Crowder. If you missed this, American comedian, a conservative comedian, has a whole show, Louder with Crowder, millions and millions of followers. He came out and said that his contract, he had a contract, well, a term sheet from an unknown political, an unknown sort of media, alt media organization, which everyone could work out was the Daily Wire. Then they admitted it was them. And Crowder was complaining about the terms of this initial offer was all it was, particularly these punitive measures whereby if he was to be demonetized by YouTube, Spotify, Apple, etc., his he would lose huge amounts of his fee, massive percentages. He's already been demonetized by YouTube, so it was a generic contract. And he was also annoyed. So that's the, that's the main thing he was annoyed about, that basically Daily Wire would own his soul, but not his soul, but any future up-and-coming performers' souls as well, and that they were essentially playing into the hands of big tech by adding this punitive element if you got demonetized. And Daily Wire was saying, well, we need to cover ourselves because obviously we'd lo- lose loads of revenue if that happened. But it also came out that this was a $50 million contract over four years with an ex- option to extend it for two. So $12.5 million a year. But within that, he did have to stump up all the production costs himself because he'd want they knew he'd want to use his own production team. 
Anyways, it's sort of been going back and forth like this. And Candace Owens said, well, Crowder just, in reality, he just put in a, another offer of $120 million and that was rejected. So he got butthurt, as they say. And, and he went, and the, the sort of despicable thing he did then is he recorded a phone call with Jeremy Boring, founder of the Daily Wire, where to sort of bolster his own narrative and released portions of this phone call, which is a bit off recording your friends. So it's all been kicking off. The latest is Stephen Crowder went on the Timcast yesterday to sort of defend himself, which he did to some degree. But I still a bit more sympathetic to Daily Wire just because even though I'm in various sort of contracts that, that kill my soul and I'm much more like Crowder, sort of rebel comic figure. But to be fair, it was 50 million. You can't record your friends in a phone call. And also, he's not that convincing on this idea that he, he didn't make a counteroffer. On Timcast, they said, well, did you make this counteroffer? And he goes, oh, my agent might have put in something anyway. And sort of goes off one. It's like, you know how much the counteroffer was. Like, what are you talking about? Of course you put in a counteroffer and you know exactly how much it was. So he's being a bit evasive. But Toby, what was your take? Yeah, I mean, I have a certain amount of sympathy with Crowther. Um, you know, I think that um, he's, his fundamental point, which is that the Daily Skeptic, sorry, <laughs> the Daily Wire's business model <laughs> Freud, is, um, is reliant on generating revenue from advertising on YouTube. Um, that is a problem because YouTube will censor, you know, lots and lots of things, as we know. Um, it'll censor climate scepticism. It'll censor lockdown scepticism. It'll censor vaccine scepticism. Um, so if you are, you know, um, a fully fledged conservative and you believe in free speech, it's quite hard to live within those parameters um, and be yourself given those restrictions. Um, but at the same time, it didn't seem like uh, an entirely principled objection to being over-reliant on YouTube um, because he probably did make a counter-offer and might have sucked it up if they'd offered him a bit more money. Um, uh, and uh, he obviously didn't behave particularly honourably. He didn't, you know, if, if that was his reason for objecting and that was the whole of the story, he should have immediately just set out his objection and explained why he didn't want to work for the Daily Wire and left it at that instead of kind of prolonging this and then recording conversations and then going public with his objections to it. And um, I think Ben Shapiro has accused him, him, accused him of wanting to set up a rival to the Daily Wire and saw this as an opportunity to publicise it and had no intention of ever joining the Daily Wire. But, uh, you know, various agendas at play. But the thing which really stood out, Nick, for me, and I'm, I'm sure for you too, is the Toby Youngs and the Nick Dixons in the US are getting offers of $50 million for four years work. I mean, it is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, what are we doing wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah. I we're not that it. much smaller than America. I know, it's mad. I compared it in my piece to, so I was engaged to an American and I said, the thing is, you've got to understand, Americans just expect a much higher standard of living. And I didn't really realize this until I was engaged to her. They just expect it because they're used to, I, I mean, simple things. I said like, of course, women tend to like the heating up, Toby. I think we can say that. They like to have more heating in the house. I was trying to conserve money. She was always putting the heating on. I said, eventually, did you just like have as much heating as you want growing up? She was like, yes. And that to me was shocking because I grew up in a house where if you were freezing cold, you had snot running out your nose, your dad would say, just run around a bit, put a jumper on or something like that. You know, the icicles hanging off your face. Now, that was one difference. But the other difference I noticed was every time we went to a hotel and we'd be going, you know, I'd travel around, do comedy, things like that. And you stay in these fairly standard juries in type of hotels, sometimes worse. And you get the room and it's fine. But what she would do is go, can we can we change room? Like, And they'd be like, um, okay. And she'd be like, yeah, I don't like the room. I just don't like the room. Imagine an English person saying that. And immediately we would get an upgrade to a much better room. And I was like, 
if everyone did this, the system would collapse because it's based on English self-loathing and a, a t- like an absolute terror of bothering anyone. Whereas Americans, it's just like, it's just serve it. You know, restaurants are another one. We'd go to, you go to a restaurant in America. Can I start you off with some waters? And they start, you know, they're getting water. They're constantly back to your table, anything you need because it's a tips-based system and they have no NHS. So, you know, they need to get their money or they're screwed. <laughs> That's my theory anyway. And then you come to an English restaurant, you're just sitting there for ages before anyone even acknowledges you. Yeah, but it's not just a question of, you know, um, being entitled and having higher expectations um, and being, you know, unembarrassed enough to demand what you think you're entitled to. I mean, if you had demanded 50 million to come and work for The Daily Skeptic, I'm not sure (laughs) that would have been. I I stuck at 30. No, you're right. There's also more money. That's my point. The Daily Wire must be awash with money if, if, if they're prepared to offer one, you know, one one person. $50 $50 million over a four-year period. I mean, maybe they're just expecting to earn a lot of money over YouTube and et cetera. Um, but even so, it is extraordinary, isn't it? So it's much that sweet Israel there. cash, Toby, uh, depending on who you're listening to. <laughs> Some people claim it comes from Israel. Just a joke, guys. But yeah, they got money from somewhere, definitely. I mean, they are doing very well. Like you say, it's sort of like the, the TV and film industry. You know, ours is sort of like one bloke from Oxbridge decides if you get on, you know, it's not like The Office. It was just a chance freak thing that it got on. It's like that Harry Enfield sketch when he did that history of the twos. It's just some bloke going in, and he was a lovely boy, but he just wasn't right. You're like, it's just some posh guy who gets to decide. Whereas America's a whole industry. You know, think about Hollywood. We just don't have an industry in the, we just don't have the media industry to the same degree. Would you agree no. with that? Well, when I, I, when I worked as a judge on Top Chef, which was a food reality show, admittedly the highest rated food reality show on cable. Um, So it's a cable TV show in America. And I did two seasons as a judge. Um, and, uh, And the difference between, you know, working on an English food reality show, which I've also done, and an American food reality show was just, it was, um, incredible. Um, uh, so I would have my own personal makeup lady whose only job was to do my makeup. And she had special makeup that she bought, which suited my skin tones. I said that I was slightly allergic to makeup. And so she found this kind of hyperallergenic makeup to use. And, you know, uh, uh, there was even someone who kind of looked after my hair, even though I don't have any hair. I mean, it was just amazing. I had my own trailer. (laughs) And it was just it was like the difference between traveling on EasyJet to kind of Mallorca and flying first class on Singapore Airlines. But it was just incredible the difference um i thought i was in the vip section and then returning to british tv was quite difficult after that i mean at gb i'm lucky if um you know someone sort of a makeup lady catches my eye in passing and come and puts a bit of slap on my forehead and then moves on i mean yeah. that's the extent of it <laughs> i'd like to say but since you've introduced that topic yeah we get we get a bit of makeup if we're lucky and then they have to run in and do dan Wooden. sometimes they're halfway through my makeup and they have to run in and do dan because he's more important <laughs> there's not enough to go yeah, whenever, around. whenever i'm doing if you go on the I'm weekend doing, there's no one there to do it carry on you no know, whenever i do dupes and co you know um michelle dubry they come in and kind of touch up her makeup and every ad break you know and i'm like you haven't even done me once yet. Never yeah, yeah. touched me up. I know. There's a definite hierarchy. So we <laughs> definite going on. hierarchy, yeah. Um, but just briefly on Crowder, some other points that you reminded me of. I mean, yeah, Ben Shapiro called it a despicable betrayal. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible betrayal. And he, he called it that. And, and obviously, they were all very upset. And uh, Michael Knowles was a bit more restrained. But uh, Matt Walsh went pretty nuclear on Twitter. But yeah, the, st- the, the other thing you mentioned was, yeah, the idea that he was launching his own thing. He's launching Stop Big Con which he already, the, the slightly dodgy part was he registered the domain. So he rejected the offer from Daily Wire. Then he registered stopbigcon.com, 
Then he did the phone call to Jeremy Boring, knowing that he'd rejected it, brought up the offer again, just so we could sort of get him to say some things and record them. Then he released his YouTube videos about that. So that's where you go, not amazing behavior. And I have this slightly whip, and he also, he's in, tro- in trouble. He, he has this thing against him that this guy he called Not Gay Jared, who was one of his producers, has a non-disclosure agreement and is never allowed to talk about what happened on Crowder and Crowder maintains it was amicable, but one his it isn't. And by the way, I mean, yeah. Another thing is, I've got quite a whimsical reason for being a bit suspicious of Crowder, which is simply, you know, that change my mind segment he does, which is really good where he comes into a college campus and says, you know, abortion is wrong, change my mind or whatever it is. But it was, and they're normally idiots he gets and he absolutely destroys them. That he had one lad who was actually smart and came back with good points and kind of got him on the ropes. And Crowder just like, melt it's a total meltdown he, he started just like shouting at him and like bullying him he did a sort of that's the real quiz david brent type behavior it was just sort of like really <laughs> awful behavior and i immediately thought there's something a bit off with crowder but that is very whimsical i admit and a lot of the freedom warriors on twitter are on crowder's side and telling me i'm wrong yeah i yeah it's uh it's difficult to care too much about these overpaid <laughs> popping chairs, isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah i suppose you're right i mean that's more i'm very interested in the american side of things but not everyone is so maybe we'll draw a land on that, but it will probably carry on running because such is the nature of, uh, you know, YouTube drama that gets loads of clicks. Should we hear from our first sponsor? Absolutely. Um, because, um, you know, we're still fighting for the pennies over here in poor old yeah, Whitey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, so uh, according to Thor, Ernest Shackleton's original wanted ad is well worth looking up for its powerful, concise copy. Here's Thor's predictably verbose stab at an ad in the same style. Ballsy blokes and based babes wanted for hazardous free-thinking journey. Profits beat wages, good return on investment, very likely. You can embark on this journey by subscribing to Thor's new Substack newsletter, which you can find at thorholt.substack.com. That's thorholt, all one word, dot substack. Thor will provide regular updates on all future London callers, coffee club, Zoom and in-person meetups, all of which, as a weekly sceptic listener, you're invited to. The first face-to-face meeting will be on board the gorgeous classic motor launch, Bell Epoch. And here's a sign-off from Thor. Skull, my fellow sceptics, have a wonderful awake week. And he's then added the following postscript. Substack is a genuinely pro-free speech platform, which reminds me... Did, did Nick mention he'd peed alongside Top G? Yes, that Top G, Andrew Tate. Nick has written of this and other delights on his top-notch Substack, which you can find at nickdixon.substack.com. He also produces more serious content, eulogising old England and delivering sermons combining misery and mirth like a good priest should. Of course, a good priest is also celibate, which should keep Nick out of Top G-style lady troubles. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing thanks Thor. i love these um meta adverts where he advertises me and actually i'm now advertising thor on my Substack. so the layers of oh, inception okay. levels wow. continue yeah yeah because thor sponsored my Substack, nitdixon.substack.com it's called the conservative rebel and what it is i'm doing offering sponsored posts now i have two sponsors who will, i just mentioned them in the post and they will fund me so it's you know and you can also subscribe there yourself or subscribe for free you don't have to sponsor it but the option is there now but we how, how much Thor. does it cost if you want to be if you if you want to get a shout out on your Substack? What what is the going rate? I was just doing it for two hundred quid. You know why? Because that was the the founder member fee, and you don't yeah. you, you don't even have to become a founder member. You can just send me the money because Substack's a bit annoying sometimes. 
and you get like five shout outs for that. Yeah, I considered putting my founder member fee down to 100, but to be honest, it's selling at 200, Toby. So, you know what I mean? Since we're plugging our substacks, let me plug my <laughs> substack, which is um, it's a fan blog about being a QPR supporter. So, quite a lot of misery and mirth in there, too. Um, and uh, it's tobyyoung.substack.com. And it's uh, you can read you can read it for free unless you want to dig down into the archive of QPR games lost in yesteryear, <laughs> in which case you pay a very modest sum. Uh, but if you want to, you can, if you want, um, become a founder member for £250. And in return, I will take you to a QPR game. You'll get um, a fairly modest lunch in a pub beforehand, <laughs> but I'll buy, your, I'll buy your QPR ticket and I'll take you to the game and I'll give you a running commentary as we lose 2-0 to Millwall or whatever it might be. So yeah, go to my substack, tobyyoung.substack.com. If you want me to take you to a QPR game and tell you all about this wonderful club um, that uh, I've been supporting now for more than God knows how long. Um, uh, and my kids will probably be there too, so they can give you additional insights into uh, the players and the manager, the tactics and the rest of it. Scintillating entertainment and uh, only 250 pounds. That's not bad. 250 for access to, to the great Toby Young. That's, that's not too bad, actually. That's pretty well priced. No, that's I, pretty... I imagine Ben Shapiro and Stephen Crowther are charging a lot more oh, yeah. to be taken to a, a baseball or an American football game by them. Absolutely. Good plug. My dream is for this podcast to just be entirely adverts. And at the end, we say, oh, wokeness is bad, isn't it? <laughs> After just 60 <laughs> minutes of wall-to-wall ads. And um, speaking of, uh, that's, that's when we'll know we've made it. Speaking of wokeness, there was a ridiculous story this week, Toby, that, that has been picked up by the mainstream media, despite being an obvious hoax to me. Now, this was the TCMA, Transcultural Mindfulness Alliance. And they put out a series of tweets, but the, the one that caught the media's attention was about Aretha Franklin with the claim that natural woman was offensive, for, obviously, because it's not pro-trans. Uh, and this was picked up by the media. Now, I had a quick look because we had to cover this on headliners. It didn't take long for me to identify that this account was an obvious parody. I mean, one clue is they joined in November 2009, but this was only founded in 2023, January. So what was the account before? Obviously, they've just changed the name of the account. There were further clues. One was that they referred to um, a pronounpedia they wanted to start instead of Wikipedia, although there are things out there very similar to that. But then they said they also wanted to make sure that pronounpedia wasn't used by bigots to hunt transgenders. Now, trans, trans rights <laughs> activists don't usually use the phrase hunt transgenders. Little clue there, guys. Do, do, but do they refer to, do trans rights activists refer to trans people as transgenders? Is no, that, of course they don't. <laughs> they don't, okay. Of course, they would say trans people, they wouldn't say transgenders. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And then listen to this one, Toby. They put out a tweet about Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie's song, Three Times a Lady, is a musical masterpiece that should be incorporated into drag queen sets. The song is actually about a non-binary woman. She switches genders three times in the course of the relationship, but has been silenced. Kudos to Lionel. I mean, guys, this wasn't hard to discern. And then the Daily Mail covered it. And they put in this little piece to sort of cover themselves. Well down the page, they said, The Post, perceived by many as a parody, began by a... Perceived by many... To me, that meant, having, as someone who has to produce content for deadlines, to me, that meant I've written the article. I found out it's a parody. I don't want to write something new. I'll just put perceived by many as parody, right? Well, more likely, they wrote the article um, and then it was pointed out to them that it was a parody. So they just added that in parenthesis and otherwise left it unchanged. Right, yeah. Why bother in, taking it In the it update, down? the first update. Yeah. yeah, you've got the clicks. And then to confirm it, finally, the uh, trans 
CCMA came out and said, I'm stunned that not a single media outlet who reported on the Aretha Franklin tweet even attempted to contact this account to comment. Based on the sheer ridiculousness of the content on this page, how could journalists not comprehend this is a parody satire? So they, they've outed themselves already. They could have kept it going. And they say that Daily Wire did actually reach out and, uh, and, 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 and Fox News and iHeartRadio didn't they reached out and didn't publish anything but mostly the media just went with it any thoughts toby yeah i mean it's uh, i'm afraid this is uh, it's a, it's a, it's a sorry reflection on the state of the modern media there is so much journalism one outlet does a story gets some crucial facts wrong and then those crucial facts are got wrong ad infinitum every time that story is regurgitated by another platform um uh, yeah it, it it reminds me of that story of the um teacher who claimed to be trans, who claimed to be a transgender um, and, uh, and, and with the enormous boobs. And it, it was pretty clear that that, that 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 was some kind of hoax, some kind of parody as well, I think. But it was sort of reported as, you know, a genuine trans person who wanted to present as female and was wearing these breasts the size of um, uh, watermelons. Did they ever get to the bottom of that one? Did we ever con- well, confirm? Maybe they did. I thought you were the one that told me it was a hoax. No, but then, then that was only speculation. <laughs> no, that one was never confirmed to my knowledge that it was a hoax. But I know what you mean. It's certainly, it's very hard to tell, isn't it? And that's the thing. Parody doesn't really work anymore. I've actually, with this one, I had to text my friends to check that none of them had done it because I had some candidates who were quite likely to have actually done this. And they were like, <laughs> no, no, it wasn't me. But it was a parody. Yeah, and it's impossible to tell. Parody almost, we are beyond parody officially. Do you have anything else to say on that topic? Do you want to go on to the... Well, I did. I did. I. I. I did think of my own um, hoax. You know, when at the at the height of the BLM brouhaha, um, universities kept publishing these solidarity statements in which they talked about how it was past time they had a they had a, an open conversation about race for too long. They'd been sweeping it under the carpet. Uh, they thanked the BLM movement for drawing their attention to their own shortcomings, their own blind spots. They were going to do the work and don't. It was a sort of boilerplate solidarity statement that more or less every university, particularly Ivy League, Russell Group universities, reproduced on their websites to, 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 to for, I guess, to avoid being attacked by BLM activists and others for, 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 for seeming to ignore this reckoning, uh, this moment. Um, and uh, But the curious thing about them was they all sounded as though they were written by exactly the same person. So my kind of uh, uh, diabolical plan was to create a fake pro-BLM website which used the software that universities use to detect plagiarism in student essays. Um, and you'd run a couple of these statements through the plagiarism detector. And they'd come up, yes, this statement that has just appeared on Yale's website clearly been plagiarized because it's identical to the one that appeared on Princeton's website a week before. Um, and uh, in this way, and then the website would then complain that universities clearly weren't making enough effort. They weren't making, they weren't responding in good faith to this moment, this reckoning. They were just copying what each other were doing. And it wasn't good enough. And I'm sure that several of the universities, you know, if you pointed this out and attracted a bit of publicity and got a kind of Twitter public shaming campaign going, they'd immediately take down um, the solidarity statements they put up and then put up even more pious ones. than uh, I think you could have had some fun with it for kind of a couple of weeks before people twigged that it was all just a, a huge hoax. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's overcomplicated. I don't know. It's <laughs> another your good business ideas, though, Toby. Um, now, you want to talk about this conversion therapy thing, and I don't actually know anything, but I've missed it. I've kind of seen the headlines and just gone, oh, whatever. Sometimes I've just, I think I've hit peak woke myself. I just can't face it. But but you, you, you were going to explain it to me. Well, yeah, I, I, I won't 
bore you with it for too long, but um, the government um, has recently announced that it's going to bring forward a bill banning conversion therapy. Now, this was originally something that Theresa May's government proposed to do, and they had a consultation about it. Um, and uh, and then Boris said uh, that uh, they decided after digesting the responses to the consultation that they were going to scrap the conversion therapy ban, weren't going to do it. That then prompted a backlash from the kind of LGBTQ plus lobby within the Parliamentary Conservative Party, which is probably bigger than you'd think. Uh, and so they then said, OK, we are going to do it, but we're going to leave out the T. It's going to be an LGB conversion therapy ban, but not a T conversion therapy ban. Um, and the reasons for that are that um, if you include trans conversion therapy, uh, does that mean that referring a child who presents with gender dysphoria to a therapist before referring them to the Tavistock, whereby they embark on an irreversible journey uh, in which they have all sorts of medical procedures and treatments, um, is referring them to a psychotherapist or a clinician conversion therapy? Would that be criminalized under a conversion therapy ban if it included um, gender identity. Um, uh, and also, would it criminalise conversations between parents and their children? If your daughter presents as trans and says she wants to uh, be prescribed puberty blockers and she's 14 and you think, well, hang on a second, that could have serious long-term implications for your fertility. Are you sure that's what you want to do? Uh, that could count as conversion therapy and you know, parents could go to jail. I mean, a bit far-fetched, but there are obviously a number of risks, um, a number of threats a conversion therapy ban bill poses to free speech. Anyway, so Boris is Compromise. His typical fudge was to say, "Well, let's 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 make it about LGB conversion, but not T." But Rishi Sunak has now said, "No, we want a full spectrum. We're going to bring forward a full spectrum conversion therapy bill. It's going to include the T." Um, and uh, and of course, the kind of GC lobby within the Parliamentary Conservative Party and the House of Lords is up in arms about it. And there's going to be a certain amount of pre-legislative scrutiny, in which the hope is that some of the more egregious um, uh, limits it'll place on free speech, particularly around gender identity uh, will be removed. Anyway, um, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because the Free Speech Union um, has uh, is using its um, uh, campaigning tool um, whereby anyone can go to the Free Speech Union website, freespeechunion.org, and um, click on the link on the homepage and then uh, fill in their details and it'll send uh, an email to their MP. It only takes about a couple of minutes to fill it in. It'll send an email to their MP flagging up the risk to free speech posed by the conversion therapy uh, ban and asking their MPs to scrutinise the bill when it's eventually published to make sure it doesn't do things like criminalise conversations between parents and their children about gender identity. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to flag that up in case anyone wants to use that tool. They are concerned about it take two minutes to fill it out and you can email your MP and put it on their radar. Now, I do remember now covering that on on headliners. I didn't know the latest developments, but yeah, it's absolutely appalling. The idea that that counts as conversion therapy. So you can't have a very reasonable conversation with a child and say, hey, maybe don't have permanent life-altering surgery or, or puberty blockers. Yeah, the idea that that's conversion yeah. therapy is absurd. And, and, it's not, and it's not far-fetched to imagine that that will be caught by a conversion therapy ban because in the state of Victoria in Australia, which did pass a conversion therapy ban in 2021, um, parents um, stopping their children, obstructing their children being prescribed puberty blockers is a criminal offence. Right, right. So where do they go? That's on that's on Free Speech Union. Yeah, the the homepage of the Free Speech Union's website has um, you know a few paragraphs about the risks 
around this ban and uh, and then you can click on a link at the bottom which will enable people who are concerned and want to draw it to the attention of their MPs to fill in a form, takes two minutes and send a pro forma email, which they can personalise to, uh, to their local MP. Okay, brilliant. Shall I do our second ad then now? Yeah. Because we have so many ads, guys. But someone was saying on Twitter we have too many ads. It's like, well, how do you think we're funding this? I think it's great that we have ads and we always make them highly entertaining. With that in mind, let's hear from Dan Gaskin who says, what do you call a woman who sets her mortgage documents on fire? Bernadette. Now, Dan just made me read that out as a professional comedian with 11 years experience who's been on Comedy Central. He's forced me to read that joke. And that's how dedicated I am to this podcast. Um, I think it's quite funny. Yeah, great, great joke, Dan. Um, He goes on, if like Bernadette, you've got financial frustrations, Dan Gaskin, fellow skeptic, father of six, husband of one, and owner of Crest Mortgages, is here to bring financial good cheer. An ex-Navy warfare officer who's owned and sold companies, Dan now enjoys making sure people are financially fulfilled. To talk through a frustrating financial matter, help with house moves, commercial mortgages, equity release, or life assurance, call 0116-502-3000 in confidence. Visit crestmortgages.co.uk and connect with Dan at www.linkedin.com slash in slash Dan Gaskin. And remember, Crest Mortgages is a trading style of Epiphany Investments Limited, which is an appointed representative of, of the Open Work Partnership, a trading style of Open Work Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. We choose to be part of the Open Work Partnership and award-winning network. Your house may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Dan is also duty-bound to tell you that setting fire to financial records is not a good plan, even if your name is Bernadette. And once again, it's 0116-502-3000. That was terrible. And crestmortgages.co.uk, linkedin.com slash in slash Dan Gaskin. And sorry, Dan, I'll do a better job next time. But I think we got the key points out there. And Dan is a great guy. He's helped me a lot with my potential mortgage. Of course, it depends on me selling my house. By the way, if anyone wants a house in London, <laughs> I'm selling my flat. I say house. It's a one-bedroom flat. And Dan's been helping me with that. Very generous and a very good guy. And we thank him for his continued support. All right, now let's go to Will with our top stories of the week. I'm here with Will Jones, editor of The Daily Skeptic, and we've got some great stories. I say great, but, you know, some of them are depressing and awful. First one is 70% of NHS hospitals still imposing COVID visitor restrictions. And this reminds me of a story we did last night on Headliners on GB News, where we found that the Met Police were still not interviewing people in person because of COVID restrictions, and they just got used to it. I mean, can't see how that could go wrong, Will. So people are just using COVID as an excuse to not bring back normal service. Yeah, using it as an excuse. Yeah, the hospitals are being awful. This is a Telegraph investigation found that a majority, or a large majority, 70% of NHS hospitals are still imposing some kind of restrictions on visitors uh, that they imposed during the pandemic. Will it ever end, Nick? It's hard to see that it will. This involves preventing more than one visitor at once, only an hour a day, that kind of thing. One hospital trust that the Telegraph contacted about this uh, immediately said, upon being told they were going to have some negative publicity about this, that they would revert to pre-pandemic visitor rules as of the, um, the following week. So that's that's good news. Uh, but even then, the Telegraph reported that the people wanting to visit someone who's ahead of surgery would still have to have a negative lateral flow test. This is 2023. So these restrictions, will they ever end? Will we ever go back to normal? Doesn't seem that way, does it? But um, speaking of that, we've got one about masks. Now, maybe we will go back to normal because Germany has incinerated millions of unused face masks. 
That's right. Yes, uh, 17 million masks incinerated. Uh, so really, really good news, of course, uh, but bad news that they ever bought them in the first place. And even worse news, Nick, uh, that this is just the tip of the iceberg. They've incinerated 17 million because they have uh, expired as though a mask within its expiry date uh, was going to do more than a mask outside of its expiry date. What's even worse than zero effectiveness? Um, that's what I want to know. But unfortunately, this is just tip of the iceberg because records show that the German government has nearly four billion masks in its mountain of masks that it's got in its reserves. Uh, and all of these are sitting there unused, obviously, because people don't want to use masks and slowly expiring. And so they'll be incinerating a whole lot more over the coming years. And do you know what's worse, Nick, is that this is not legacy stuff. They're still buying more. They are still buying more masks to make sure that they've always got their 4 billion mask stockpile um, in the case another a virus is released. I mean, um, emerges. Yeah, good good, good catch there. Well, um, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? I mean, imagine that, your mask going up. It was just a bit of cloth. I was like, oh, this one's going off tomorrow. Like, how can you have a best before date on a mask? <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Well, this one's an interesting one from Nick Rendell. Excess deaths in Finland and Norway in 2022 were higher than in Sweden in 2020. That's right. And the reason that's significant, Nick, is because Sweden, of course, was really heavily criticised in 2020, absolutely panned by the media, the international media, by governments, public health people around the world for their response to the pandemic, which was supposedly going to kill uh, hundreds of thousands of people and supposedly really lax. Um, and in fact, as we know, nothing like that transpired, that their deaths were uh, were perfectly average for Europe. Um, nothing, nothing unusual. And the response of its neighbours, including Finland and Norway, were really praised for having really low death rates and for supposedly handling it really well. Well, the point is that in 2022, one of our writers, the Daily Skeptic, has spotted and wrote a, an excellent article about it this week. Their death rates in 2022, so in the last year, were in Norway and in Finland were actually higher. This is excess death rates at so all causes than Sweden had in the supposedly disastrous year of 2020, uh, when they supposedly did everything everything wrong. So they actually had more deaths per capita, so for the, for the proportion of the size of the population, more deaths in Norway and Finland uh, in 2022 than Sweden did in 2020. So yeah, incredible statistics and just really underlines that the lockdowns uh, were not the right way to handle. I mean, we know that, don't we, Nick? But just yet, yet more evidence, as though we need more, but it seems that some people do. So yet more evidence uh, of them being the wrong policy. Absolutely. Let's do this one. GMC blinks first. So the GMC have declined to investigate Dr. Asim Malotra after his BBC interview. Yes. So um, we spoke about this um, last week that uh, Dr. Asim Malhotra had managed to get onto uh, the BBC. He was, um, despite being a vaccine critic and therefore being shunned by a lot of uh, media in recent months, he was invited onto the BBC to be interviewed about the heart problems, but in particular about statins because of the claim that the heart problems were caused by a lack of statins, which he doesn't agree with. But And he managed to sneak in while he was on there, as we said, that about his view that the vaccines are a major driver of these heart problems and heart deaths. And not surprisingly, Covidians um, around the around the country put in lots of complaints to his professional regulator, the GMC, the General Medical Council, uh, to try to uh, get him in trouble with his regulator. And the GMC this week uh, said that it was not going to even investigate these claims. Now, the, the reason it gave is because that since the booster and vaccine campaigns are basically over now, 
which is encouraging to hear in itself. Let's hope that's the case. But uh, because of that, they think that the harm is uh, is probably uh, not so bad. However, they also added that being investigated would just give uh, Asim a, a bigger platform for his um, vaccine critical views. And they don't want to do that. Uh, they even stated that explicitly. Uh, and we have to imagine, Nick, that that is the real reason that they don't want to take this any further. Yeah, they wanted to avoid a kind of Streisand effect, I believe it's called. So let's do this one. Dr. Richard Enos, with an analysis of yellow card data, obviously as a heathen, I immediately thought this was about football, uh, but it isn't, Will. Yellow card, yeah, yellow card is is about, for when it comes to vaccines, is the system that the UK government has set up uh, to let people, uh, doctors and anyone to report vaccine adverse events. It's the equivalent of the VAERS system. In, um, in America. And the, the data, and, is, and as we know, there's been an awful lot of reports of adverse events uh, from, uh, from the COVID vaccines, far more proportionally than any other uh, vaccine um, that's ever been uh, released. But uh, conveniently for the government and those who want to promote the vaccines, because it's a passive reporting system, so it's just whoever happens to bother to put um, the reports in, the, um, they can just dismiss it and say that, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not reliable, um, no matter how many reports they get. However, there are recognised and proper ways of analysing this data to try to get something useful out of it. The, one of the main ways is called proportional reporting rate analysis, and a retired scientist, uh, Dr. Richard Enos, a retired professor of evolutionary biology from Edinburgh University, did that analysis on the yellow card data for the UK, did it and published it in the Daily Skeptic this week. And he found there were serious and unequivocal, he said, safety signals for heart problems, blood problems, and female reproduction problems from the mRNA vaccines in particular in this analysis uh, that, in his view, warranted immediately halting the use of the vaccines. Uh, so yeah, well worth, if listeners want to know the details about that, then well worth looking that up on the site. Yep, go to dailyskeptic.org. And I'd just like to clarify, when I said heathen, it was a colloquialism. I am a Christian. I simply meant a dumb person. So let's move on to climate. And temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere are due to fall over the next 25 years, Will. Uh, that's right. According to six top scientists uh, writing in uh, peer-reviewed uh, top journals, so this isn't just some bloke on the internet uh, writing their prognostications, but actually a proper a proper climate paper. So you wouldn't think that it would go against the narrative. They don't let many of these through, but this one does. Now they have to write that they they do still believe in in human-made. Uh, global warming. But despite that, and in a way that makes it significant, they say that over the next 25 years, their observations looking at the regular cycles, uh, the regular natural cycles in climate and temperature, they're predicting a 25-year cooling period in the Northern Hemisphere and then globally as uh, as one of those cycles takes over. They present this as being a 25-year pause or break in the relentless supposed heating up of the planet which will give us extra time to prepare and and transition <clears throat> so it's a it's not a perfect paper from a from a skeptic's point of view but it still it points out that that carbon dioxide is not the main thing driving uh, the the temperature of the of the planet and let's and let's hope this does materialize because if if it does um as in materialize soon because if it does it will really help us net zero and uh, climate skeptic argument to try to stop some of the insanity that we're currently careering towards stop the madness all right let's end on this one affordable electric cars not viable says kia boss when are they going to realize these things aren't going to work well at least in their current form 
Yeah, talking of net zero madness, uh, here we have another example. The the boss of Kia, the uh, car manufacturer, has said the unsayable and pointed out that it is that electric vehicles, foreseeable future, are just not going to be affordable. They just can't. They're not going to be able to get the price down to uh, the affordable level. They're not going to be able to get it onto parity with with uh, petrol cars, diesel cars, just because of the cost of the of the minerals of the rare earth metals. Uh, that are needed to produce them. And of course, the cost of those minerals is unlikely to come down because as demand increases, the mining will increase, uh, but it's un- it's not predicted to do so at a rate that will mean that the price will actually come down. Uh, so yeah, so a, a, a yet more reality check about, about net zero. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for all those, Will. And we'll catch up with you again next week. Great. Thanks, Nick. Toby, let's just very quickly do our third advert. So this is an advert for a terrorism thriller by a listener called Philip Tucker. And the thriller is called The Jasmine Sari. And um, instead of telling you in detail what the book's about, which I did last week, I'm just going to read some of the um, reviews that it's got, which are really impressive. So a real humdinger of a thriller. I can't recommend it highly enough. Timely, topical with the current state of the world we live in comprehensively and movingly inverts the whole sterile establishment frame debate on terrorism. So you can purchase The Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker uh, on Amazon now. And here, here are some more things that people are saying about it. Proves that outstanding fiction can speak about the bigger truths more eloquently than can factual reporting. This book should be read by everyone living in the West. Above all, this book made me think. It showed me many things I had never sensed on the whole subject of terrorism. Brilliant. And it's set in Bangladesh. And one reader said, you can taste the dust and smell the air of Bangladesh. Uh, someone said, uh, uh, this is on the, I think this is uh, about the cover, a great retro Bangla Bollywood-esque cover. It's got a beautiful woman being kissed by a counter-terrorism expert uh, being spied on by uh, someone who could well be a terrorist on the cover. Uh, A stunning finale that left me virtually breathless, an entertaining and explosive race against time, which kept my eyes glued to the pages. Great stuff. And finally... Uh, we're talking We're talking about the Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker, which you can buy on Amazon. Uh, the final word goes to the Morning Star. Uh, the Morning Star said, this is a startlingly adroit, angry and astute political thriller. The Jasmine Sari gets it and you should get it too. All right, there we go. Now let's go to everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, do you want to go first on me? I've got a couple. They're not, they're not as strong as some of mine, but they're, they're, they're solid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was, um, was going to start with um, the uh, Home Office, um, always quite a dependable source of Pete Woke stories. Um, so um, civil servants at the home office, have, home office have been told to stop using the uh, typeface Times New Roman uh, because apparently it's ableist. And the rationale for um, designating Times New Roman as ableist is that it's apparently harder for visually impaired people to read things uh, written uh, using the Times New Roman font. So there you are. um, Times New Roman um, uh, is ableist and should therefore be cancelled. Not bad. Shall I go in with one? I've got um, museum scrap mummy label. So museums are removing the word mummy from labels that describe human remains in their Egyptian exhibitions because it's deemed dehumanizing 
and has a colonial past. So they want to use instead terms like mummified person and my favorite, people who once lived, which applies to almost everyone, doesn't it? I mean, unless you're alive <laughs> now, you're a person who wants Almost everyone is a person who once lived, surely. Yeah, and they wouldn't really work as movie titles, would they? You know, um, uh, the person, <laughs> the who mummified wants person, and the mummified person too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's my uh, yes. mummy one. Have you got a second one? Yeah. So quite a shocking headline, actually, in the Telegraph from yesterday: Tory candidates given lessons on white resentment before standing for Parliament. Uh, would-be MPs offered unconscious bias training uh, in spite of the fact that the government promised to phase it out across Whitehall three years ago. Um, so, yeah, would-be Tory MPs are being told that white resentment is a significant problem for ethnic minorities and is defined as, quote, when white employees suggest equality and diversity training is no longer required as it provides ethnic minority employees with an unfair advantage. Um, so in spite of various Tory ministers uh, pledging to ban woke diversity courses across the civil service, uh, the Conservative Party is actually uh, telling its candidates that they need to undergo diversity training themselves um, before they can stand, uh, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess another another nail in the coffin of the Tory party, another instance of the wokeification of um, the blue brand. Yeah, that's pretty peak woke. I mean, it's so annoying with the toys, as you say, with the Home Office as well. Suella Braben will always distance herself from it. But why is it going on? Why do they have no control over their own departments? It's just the woke capture, isn't it? Even if the politicians themselves claim to not like it. Yeah, maybe maybe they're worried, you know, that without being given unconscious bias training, anti-racism training, without learning about gender equality, without knowing that fonts like Times New Roman are ableist, they'll put their foot in it as candidates. They'll say things which will then blow up in their faces in the local media. It'll damage their election prospects. So maybe it's just, you know, the precautionary principle at work, given how often that's happened. Uh, And not just with Conservative candidates, but also with Labour and Lib Dem candidates. But, you know, maybe it's understandable from that point of view. That seems a bit generous to me, Toby, (laughs) as you often are, a bit too generous. But um, I'll do my second one then. And these were both on headliners last night. These are both from the Times. Jesus Christ Superstar gets gender-neutral makeover. So obviously, I mean... There's an argument that the original Jesus Christ Superstar was sacrilegious, which the BBC did say at the time, back when the BBC were, were a bit different to how they are now. But um, now they've come out with a non-binary Jesus. So, And the creative director made this shocking statement. Jesus is remembered as being a man, but who are we to decide? None of us were around 2,000 years ago. All right, that just ends all Christianity then, basically, doesn't it? That's that, really, isn't it? I mean, who, I mean if we can't... I mean, what... This was so uh, just so annoying to me. And again, you would never do it with any other religion. Christians have become, we've become too weak. We've allowed this kind of thing to happen. We need to bring back blasphemy laws. And uh, Simon Evans was pretty wet on this on the show. He's not normally wet, but he's a bit of a lib at heart. And he said that um, you know, he, didn't, he, he had no problem with it. And actually me and Josh, who's a big lefty, actually had more of a problem with it. Of course I did. But I mean, a non-binary Jesus, because we can't know that he was really a man. I mean, get lost. It reminds me of the song we used to sing as kids when Jesus Christ Superstar first came out. And I think it went something like, Jesus Christ Superstar looks like a woman and he wears a bra. Presumably that's now part of the chorus. (laughs) Wow. Did you have that? We had came down from heaven on a Yamaha, uh, pulled a skid, (laughs) pulled a skid, killed a kid. I think it was chopped off his balls in a dustbin lid, which doesn't really make 
and his scent and is obviously <laughs> blasphemous. But I'm just recalling, sorry to the Christians, but I, I think that's what it was. So you had, it's interesting you had different versions of that. Yeah, we, we had one which implied that Jesus was in fact a woman. But I guess that wouldn't be considered seditious these days. That That's a virtually um, a necessary condition of being accepted into the kingdom of heaven. You were quite progressive. Probably. This was probably in the south, whereas in the north, it was a much more aggressive sort of motorbike-based song. But um, So which, I don't know, maybe we leave it up to the listener again to decide what wins Pete Wilk. It might be your unconscious bias. Times New Roman, surely. Oh, oh Times New Roman, uh, yeah. I, that just, yeah. I don't mind having weak poke because it is, it's pretty disgusting that they're doing that to Jesus. Or would that make it peak woke? I don't know. Listener can decide who gets peak woke and you can win a mug that we haven't invented yet that's, that says <laughs> stay skeptical on it. But I am going to invent those mugs soon. All right. So should we just quickly do a review, Toby? I um, Actually, there were some really good comments on the Podbean, but I haven't got them in front of me. But thanks for those comments. And uh, But we've also got a review here from the Apple app. And someone says, incredible Jordan Peterson impression, (laughs) five stars, really excellent podcast. It is a salve for the mind to know there are others that stayed sane, skeptical and uncaptured in a world that seems to be getting more crazy by the day. Also, Nick's Jordan Peterson impression is truly uncanny. Please consider adding this as a section of the podcast. But seriously, thanks for your thoughts and conversation. What do you mean, but seriously, we could actually do that. Peterson session every week and Toby has to speak to me as Peterson. I think yeah, I think yeah, I think that's already happened organically without any prompt. Why do I force you to do that for five to ten minutes every week? Yeah, well we should say, Nick, that one thing um we're thinking of doing because the podcast is proving so popular and we're getting such a lot of positive feedback is doing a live recording of the podcast, possibly at the Emmanuel Centre, yet to be decided, uh in central London. Um but in order to assess whether this is worth doing we have to try and gauge how many people might actually come might actually pay to come and see us live on stage and will um and possibly um chris morrison as well um and maybe noah carl um so the entire cast of the daily skeptic on stage but all revolving around me and you nick doing a recording of the weekly podcast um if people would be interested in coming to see that might actually pay i don't know a five or ten pounds to come and see it ten ten um, Ten, ten. Um, yeah, sorry, remember, remember. <laughs> Just think Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro. Um, uh, yeah, so do email us at thedailyskeptic at gmail.com, thedailyskeptic at gmail.com, and tell us if you think that's a good idea or not. But uh, yeah, one of Nick's tasks um, as the deputy editor is to try and organize some more some more revenue-generating events, because otherwise we're going to go bust. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we thought of this one. But Although, it could be a potential... Money spinner. Absolutely. Although like crowd, it's not clear which revenue I'll actually get and if I'll be demonetized. But but the live shows definitely let us know. Someone let me know on Twitter and they said they would come. So that's one, Toby. How many do we need great. to fill this venue? I think if 100 people write and tell us that they think it's a great idea, then we're off to the races. Okay, so do that. What is the, I should know the email address, dailyskeptic at gmail.com. Uh, the, the dailyskeptic at gmail.com. Okay, good. I should know that. And um, so just put, the, put in the title, Weekly Skeptic Live or Live Podcast or something. All right, brilliant. Anything else to add, add Toby? We, we no, just to remind people, we're, we're not actually asking people to donate this week, though of course you can. Um, <laughs> but no, um, if you want to do, please sign the Jeremy Clarkson petition. Let's get it above 50,000 if it's not there already. Um, and just follow me on Twitter or the Free Speech Union on Twitter and you'll see uh, a link to that petition. And also, if you're concerned about the impact of the conversion therapy ban, um, do use the Free Speech Union's campaigning tool to email Absolutely. All right, that's the podcast, guys. Until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. <laughs>